Amen. How many of you guys have considered yourselves great investors? Okay. How many of you guys would say, I know how to invest? I can make a dollar into a million dollars. Probably some of us, I'm like, no, that's not what I'm about. I've tried to like look like the stock market, and I end up losing money more than I ever gained money. So I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. What makes a good investor? This morning, it was funny because when Bill asked me, what is your title this morning? I gave him the mercies and the calling of the king. And then God told me, no, it's not. It's going to be something different. The mercies and the calling to invest in the kingdom was what he told me he wanted me to call this sermon. And how he wanted me to preach this Sunday this, in this way. We're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 18 and 19. And before you say, oh, man, we're going to go through all of that together, yes, we are, and we'll do it in a timely fashion. What we will read today is about the mercies of God and how the mercies of God leads us to invest our lives to the kingdom of God. In other words, his response to us and our response to him. If you're taking notes this morning, my main point is very simple and clear. Our merciful king not only seeks to give us a new life and hope, but he calls us to be faithful kingdom builders as we invest in a hopeless world. And Luke 18 and 19, Luke is going to give us two different accounts of people in great need. Both stories will have great needs of two people that we're going to read. And not only are we going to read what Jesus does, but we're going to see the response and how both of these men invest their lives to the kingdom of heaven. If you are in the word, we're in Luke 18, verse 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him. Telling him, shush, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near to him, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. We're introduced to a blind man in this story. But actually in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, Mark records his name. We're told in Mark chapter 10, 46, his name is Bartimaeus. 
He was a human being. He was a person in need. We are told that he hears the crowd and he's asking, what is going on? He can't see. He's wondering, what is the commotion? Verse 37, they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Now listen, by now Jesus had a a reputation. People knew about Jesus. This is about the third year of his ministry. He's on his way to being crucified. People are aware of who Jesus is. Either by now you have seen him as the Messiah. By now you have seen him for who he was. Or he was a disruption to your daily life. You you want nothing to do with him. What does the blind man do? Verse 37. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now there is more here than meets the eye. We have to understand what Bartimaeus was saying about Jesus. See, the Jewish community saw the Messiah as the future king from the line of David, who was expected to be the anointed one. They were ruled the Jewish people during the Messianic age. What Bartimaeus believes Jesus to be, he believes him to be the king, he believes him to be the Messiah. By calling Jesus a son of David, he expresses his faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the king, and the only one that can make him well again. Not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus is the long-awaited king. And Bartimaeus knows that he needs this king to do a miracle in his life. Verse 41, Jesus responds. Jesus not only responds, but he says, bring me this man. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this was not Jesus being cruel. Some might say, well, like, well, obviously he's blind, right? He needs his vision back. But what Jesus is doing here was giving Bartimaeus an opportunity to express his faith vocally that Jesus could bring his sight back. He wanted him to hear. He wanted to hear him. And Jesus' response, Jesus' response is amazing. Verse 42, when Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Jesus not only heals them physically, This man doesn't just get his vision back, but he also heals him spiritually. Remember that I said earlier, Bartimaeus put his faith in Christ. He put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus responds with, your faith has made you well. We know that he was healed not only physically but spiritually by the way he responds to Jesus. Look at verse 42. 
well, 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, giving praise to God. This was a reaction that he takes after being healed. Not only is he okay with being healed, but he's like, I'm a new man in Christ. I want to follow him. He didn't go home. He didn't hide for none to see. But with his new sight, he was invested to build the kingdom of the king with his new family. He was invested with his new eyesight to be able to say, I want to proclaim the glory of the king. But this is not only the man that we meet. We also meet a new man in great need who responds to Jesus. Chapter 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a, a, a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was asking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was a small man in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurled and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone, into, he had gone in to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. I have defrauded, if, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to, your house, to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Verses 1 through 10, we're introduced to a new character. We're introduced to Zacchaeus. Now, he just wasn't anyone. We're told that he was a tax collector. Now, if you followed our sermon series in the book of Luke, you've known that tax collectors were despised. They were hated men of their community because while their community was suffering, they were getting rich off defrauding the very people that they should have been called to serve. And we're told that he was rich. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and he was rich. He invested in his own pockets. He didn't look for the welfare of others. He invested in his own pockets. He invested himself to be rich. But something wasn't quite well with that in his soul. He hears about Jesus and he wants to see him. We're told that he's a small man. I don't know how small he could have been, but I mean, he must have been really small. 
And he hears about Jesus. And so he wanted to see him. So he's looking desperately for a way to see him. And he sees the tree and he sees the branch. And he's like, hmm, I think, I, I think that's the way in. And I often think about what Zacchaeus was thinking about when he went up that tree. It made me think of two things. One, made me think of Peter when, they, when, when, when the people wanted to have their friends, his friend, to be healed. Remember, they broke Peter's roof and sent their friend down who was paralyzed. And they said, heal this man, please, Jesus. That desperation of only you, Jesus, can make him well. Zacchaeus had a very similar desperation. I need to see this king, this Jesus. But I also think about maybe why he was there. I often wonder was Zacchaeus thinking about how Levi, the tax collector turned disciple, came to Christ in a very similar background of his own tax collector how Jesus was merciful to him gave him a new identity gave him a new life gave him hope and and then took him and said you will be invested in my kingdom maybe why Zacchaeus is thinking I want that I need that Jesus not only sees him but he invites him to his house listen I love Jesus because he doesn't ask you he wants to go somewhere, he tells you where he's going, all right? He literally tells them, I'm going to your house, and I'm staying the night. Zacchaeus didn't say, oh, no, hold on, like, you know, Zacchaeus, it says he hurled down, verse 6, that means he, for a little man, ran as possible to Jesus joyfully. Others grumbled at the sight of Jesus being joyful around him. But Jesus had a purpose. Jesus was on mission. And we're going to see what that mission is. But how did Zacchaeus respond to such grace and mercy? Remember, I tell, again, when God actively works in our hearts, there is a response when God saves us, there's a response. And we look in verse 9. I'm sorry, in verse, yeah, verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. How do we know there was salvation? Well, again, when we encounter the living king, our lives change. And we see that by Zacchaeus saying, I am going to give everything that I stole and I am going to invest it back to the people that I hurt. Anyone that I have done wrong against, I want to give back. No longer am I looking to invest in myself, but Jesus, I want to invest in your kingdom. I want to invest in your people. I will give back. And Jesus says, salvation has come to your home. As I read in one commentary this week, there is no such person that can say they have trusted in Christ and walk away unchanged. No one who has met the risen king can say, I'm living the same way. Jesus transforms 
those whom he seeks. Look at verse 10. Remember I told you Jesus was on mission. Even all the way to the crucifixion, Jesus' sight was on the lost. He was heading to the crucifixion not only to save the lost, but even on the way there, he was still saving people. Also, I don't want us to miss the reality that this story in verse 1 When he entered Jericho, if it sounds familiar, it should. It should sound familiar. Because, let me go back to my notes here. Because if you follow this, this is the parable of the Samaritan. This is the parable of the Samaritan when Jesus is walking on the road. When he says there's a man walking on the road on his way to Jerusalem, and he heads towards Jericho. He sees a man badly beating up, and he cares for him on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is fulfilling this very parable as we speak. And that's, in, again, I, that's in chapter 8. Uh, with the blind man. I just didn't want us to miss that because I think that was really important. Jesus came to seek to save the lost. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came and seeked and to save the lost. That was Jesus' mission. Jesus finds those who need him and restores. And not only restores, but then he calls. Where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Maybe this morning you have not encountered this living king. Maybe this morning you're wondering, I need this king. And so I call out to you, whoever you are, cry out to him like the blind man. Seek him while he can be found. Plead and say, Lord, I'm here. Please, I want to know you. I want to invest in you. Be like the blind man and encounter Jesus before it is too late. Maybe we're here and we've trusted in Christ, but we have forgotten what it looks like to be faithful stewards of what God has given us. Maybe we're here and we, we're, we're wondering, like, I, I don't think I've been living up to what the Lord has called me to. What does that look like? And I'll tell you this. To be faithful stewards is investing in the kingdom with our lives for the mission that God calls us. And Luke 9, 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To be faithful stewards is investing in the kingdom with our lives for this mission. Put everything aside so that we can be people of Christ in a lost, lost world. Jesus gives us in chapter 19, verse 11, he gives us a parable of the ten minas. And this parable It tells us what it looks like to invest in the kingdom and the consequences for those who do nothing 
when the king returns. God is going to talk about what does it mean to invest in his kingdom. Let us read verses uh, chapter 19, 11, 27, uh, 11 to 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling 10 of his servants. He gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and set a, a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those, these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they have gained by doing business. The first came to him, saying, Lord, your mina has made me ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you should, be, you should have authority over ten cities. In verse 18, the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And yet, then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. Because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow, he said to him. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You know that I was a severe man. Take, uh, you, know, you know that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit. And re Sorry, verse 23. When they did not, when they, when then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Verse 24, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10. And it said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you, to everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as far but as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's a lot of text. And we're going to break it down as much as we can. I don't want to spend too much time as far as like going through every single thing. But I think it's important for us to understand why Jesus is telling this parable. The parable, again, begins with Jesus explaining why he's telling this parable in the, in the first place. Jesus arrives near Jerusalem, and he's concerned for their understanding that the kingdom will arrive soon. We know a few things in this parable that correlates with our current world today. So what I'm going to do is correlate what is in this parable with our current conditions in our world today. We're going to look at verse 14. The king was hated, and the people did not want him as king. Again, look at verse 14. 
But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. Like the citizens in the parable, we live in a world of active disobedience to the king. We live in a world today that is not looking for Jesus to be king. If anything, it is totally opposed, rejected. How dare you tell me that Jesus is king? How dare you tell me that he's going to come back and judge the world? How dare you tell me how I should invest my life? No. To the world, they look to invest in themselves, how to prosper, hopes and dreams, my purpose, my over the king's. We're also seeing that in verse 15, he ordered the servants to whom he had given money to, to invest. Look at verse 15. When he returned, having receiving the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to. He called to them that they might know what they've gained by doing business. He ordered the servants to whom he had given money to invest that. And in the beginning, he tells them, hey, I'm going away. Here is the minas. Go and invest that. Go. As this text spoke about investment, it made me think, what does it mean to invest? How do we define investment? The dictionary defines investment as devoting one-time effort or energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. You are investing something and you're expecting something that is going to be worthwhile. All your effort and time is spent to it. What does kingdom building mean? What does it look like in light of what we read as a definition? It means that we are faithful stewards to give all that we have to the king. It means that we find the kingdom of God, the building of it, the investing in it, worthwhile over all things. It's to align our hopes and dreams in this world to that of the mission of Christ. To seek and save the lost is the mission of Christ. It is his priority. It is what he pursues. It is why he came and died so that he would seek and save the lost. And he calls us to that. He calls us to be stewards of that and invest in that. Is investing in the kingdom worthwhile to us? I ask you this question this morning. Is investing in the kingdom worthwhile to us? It was worth. To Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus, they left all that they had to seek the kingdom. They gave all that they had to seek the kingdom. What are practical ways of testing whether or not our priorities and plans match that of the mission of Christ? Well, it's simple. We have to ask ourselves real questions. We have to look at our own hearts One, does our pursuing of our dreams differ from how we invest in the kingdom? Often more than not, we can invest in the things that we want, right? I want the bigger home. I want the nice car. I I, I want the better job. 
I'm going to do what it takes to, to, to get that. So I'm going to invest everything I have to do that. And so the heart aligns with that. And sometimes it becomes more about the personal investment than the kingdom investment. And this, this, this week, actually, the Lord gave me a practical way of how in my own heart that was made very clear even for me. Even for me, this week, I had an opportunity, I had a job interview within the company that I work with, and it was to move up in the position, uh, a better position. And um, already, before I even had the interview, I was already planning what I was going to do, uh, where I was going to live, and the cars that I was going to drive, and, and my, mar- my heart started to stir that way. How I'm going to invest this money? Oh, it's going to look nice. And I had the interview, and, and I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm excited. I, and then I was prepping for this sermon, and, and as I was prepping for this sermon, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, that's great, but how are you, gonna, how, how are you investing in the kingdom, though? The Lord spoke to me, and he said, your heart is about investing in yourself, but it's not investing in me. And I immediately started realizing that what I was doing was having a dreams that different from the one that I was called to have. As a believer, I firmly believe that God has called us to the great mission to seek and save the lost. I'm not saying that going after you know, having a nice home and having a car are bad things necessarily. No, not at all. But when those become the forefront of our lives, when that becomes the investment that is the thing that's going to get us to where we want to, then check your heart. Because the investment of the kingdom that lasts forever is what's going to last ultimately. Ultimately, it is the kingdom of having the people that we invest in, the people that we love, the money that we spend on, on, on giving ourselves to others. That is what is going to last. How does our bank account reflect us being invested in the kingdom? This was a big one, big one for me too. Go to, go to your chase and ask yourself, how have I been investing in the kingdom with my resources? Often for me, more than not, it shows a reflection of my own heart. How do we invest in church life? How do we invest in one another's lives weekly? Going out for coffee, inviting each other for dinners. That is huge. Investing in the kingdom of God is actively serving one another. How do we share the good news to others? If we are to be on mission and the mission is to seek and save the lost, how do we currently are doing that here? How are we currently loving those outside of our body? Building in the community, serving in the schools, local council, whatever. How can we invest ourselves and resources to that of the kingdom of heaven? As we are good stewards of what God has given us, 
we clearly see the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. God is calling us to that. He wants us to be good stewards of that. As we see in the parable, in the parable, we have guys who were serving. They were saying, hey, I, I was able to take this and make it into that. And the Lord, it says the king rewarded them, rewarded them. But it also comes, there's, there's a, a warning here. There's a warning in verse 21. Well, verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which you have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. Now, first of all, I want us to look at something here. There's nothing here in the text that tells us that he was a severe man. There was no reason this, he couldn't have invested. He chose not to. We are seeing in verse 21 that one of the 10, we're not told about every single person, but we're told one did not invest but chose to hide it, chose to hide in an unrealistic fear of the king. Some might say that verse 22, when he says, and he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Some would take that and say, see, well, I mean, he was kind of right, wasn't he? He was severe. But that's not at all what the text is saying. What he, the king was doing was turning the words back to him and saying, if you even thought of me like this, then you would have invested. And ultimately, he was stripped of what he did have. There is a warning here in verse 21, verse 22. When we, if we reject the king, we reject the king when we choose to foolishly fail to put the interests of the king ahead, head of our own. We choose to foolishly fail to put the interest of the king ahead of our own. God is calling us to something greater. He's calling us to invest in the kingdom. There's consequences for rejecting the king. There's consequences for not letting that light shine. And the reality is that we will need to give an account for the way that we have used what our king has given us. Verse 24, it says, And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. The Lord strips this man of what he had. The man who did not invest and not receive what the others received. Instead, he was stripped of all that he had. The warning here is that we will miss out more on the way on ways to know God deeper as he calls us to his mission. When we choose to not invest our time, our worship, all that we do to the kingdom, we are Losing out on a, a deeper way to know God greater. As we are faithful to him, he will give us more of himself and more ways to pursue him. I don't know about you, but I have been filled in my walk with Christ when I am pursuing him and, and doing kingdom work. I am not filled when I am sitting on the sidelines. 
when we choose to say, Lord, I, I want to invest. I want to see your kingdom grow. I want to see all that I have be given to the kingdom. We experience a deeper, deeper love, a deeper, deeper knowing of God than we could ever imagine. And that is better than anything this world has to offer. Those things will perish, but the kingdom, Jesus, the king, he will last forever. There is consequences. Verse 27, it says here, but as for those of these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This might seem extreme, right? We're like, whoa, this is extreme. But here's the reality. God will judge the world. Our king will return. This parable is talking about that reality. The king will return and the king will say and want an account for the way that we have used the resources and the stewardships of what he's given us. God will judge the world. If we look at the beginning of this parable, Jesus tells this tale because of the expectation that the kingdom will arrive soon. The people are wondering, okay, this is the Messiah, the, the, the reigning, and we will be free. And therefore, Jesus wants us to be active kingdom builders. He does bring salvation, and he will return. But he is calling us as right now ambassadors in this world to be kingdom builders. Do you believe that our king will return? Do you believe that our king will return? Because if we do, the way we do our pursuing and putting the priorities of Christ, it changes. Because we know that our king is coming soon. We know that his kingdom will be given to us. We will have a, a new earth and a new heaven but also, I don't want us to miss out that, again, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Here's the reality. God will judge the world accordingly. God is a holy God, a righteous God. He must deal with sin. There is a world out there that does not know him. There is a world that is actively choosing to say, I do not want to follow Jesus. And God is calling us and saying, listen, I am going to deal with sin, but I am calling you to the, to, to the world to preach the gospel, to seek and save the lost. I am calling you to point them to me and build the kingdom that one day will be forever. Do we believe our king will return because it changes the way we do evangelism? It changes the way Edgewater Baptist Church, how we see this new season. How do we pursue the lost in our community? How do we actively care, use our resources, invest ourselves, not in the riches of the world, but in the kingdom of heaven? Will our lives be a rejection of our king? Or will we hear the sweet words that we are longing to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. We are all longing to hear those words, to know that we, said Jesus, like Zacchaeus, like the blind man, we said, not only did we receive this new life, but we want to be investors. We want to be all in.
I want to be all in because this lasts forever. Our merciful king, again, not only seeks to give us a new life and hope, but calls us to be a faithful kingdom builders as we invest in a hopeless world. And we, man, I, I pray this message was not just a message of like, man, I got to do more, but it would be a reality of our new identities in Christ. That it would really shape how we see the world and our resources. And that if, if the Lord is convicting us about things, good. Because it leads to repentance and it leads to faithful stewardship of what he's given us. If there are ways that we got to say, Lord, revamp the way I do life. And man, was this convicting to me? Because I can easily fail at these things. And I am thankful for a king that has given me his grace, has given me his mercy and his hope. And he says, yo, even when you fail, dust yourself off and keep pursuing. Seek and save the lost. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we will continue to be ambassadors of your word. Lord, make us investors in your kingdom, God. We desire nothing else. I hope that we desire nothing else. It's easy for us to our hearts to go here or go there. But Jesus, you got something so much greater for us, Lord. And I ask that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. I pray that you would also bestow grace and mercy when we do fail. Help us to see the mission, to see the joys of, the, of your salvation. Let us worship this, uh, this morning as we look to you, Lord. I thank you again for this opportunity to preach your gospel. In your name I pray these things. Amen.